Hey everybody, I'm Jason Mangum. And I'm Mark Anderson. And on this segment of World Impact News, we are going to bring a thesis to you regarding JFK and the events that happened on November 22nd, 1963. These things are rarely discussed because they're the little threads that you begin pulling on that begin to unravel this and actually begin to make the JFK events solvable for the first time in American history. We actually, Jason, I believe, we're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel through this thesis. Yeah, which Agent Hill actually testified to hearing Yes, he did. Something else. What was that about, Mark? Yes. Now, Agent Clinton Hill, who is the only still living Secret Service agent who rode in that limo to Parkland Hospital, the others, Greer driving and Kellerman, the other guy in front, have died. He said that when he heard a additional shot, it sounded like a revolver shooting through a metal plate that seemed to have some sort of echo. And that's almost his exact words. Indicating it would be hollow. Yeah. And a lot of people have talked about the sewer that was not too far from the car. Could they, could the hollow metallic sound, the echoey sound have come from there? That's impractical. Um, I met Clinton Hill at a hotel and I asked him point blank, and he did deny it. I said, did that trunk have a secret compartment where maybe Kennedy could hide in the event of an ambush? Mm-hmm. He told me, no, I don't believe it. Yeah. Well, the back seat is removable. The back seat's removable. And we, we feel that you could have entered the trunk through, through popping up that seat and removing it. And I'll talk about some blood stain patterns and blood a little, a little bit later about that. But he heard that definitive sound, that's exactly what he told the Warren Commission, it's in the record, look it up. And fact of the matter is, is that when I read that quote back to Clinton Hill in 2012, he completely changed it. Even though it's a generally generally accepted principle, ladies and gentlemen, that the first testimony of someone fairly fresh after an event, as, as, as immediate after the event as you can, is generally the most trustworthy and that the more that time goes by, generally speaking, is less trustworthy. Even if the person testifying says they're being honest and believes they're being sincere, it's generally accepted that the more that time passes, the more that memories fade, the more that people might be pressured to say something else under certain circumstances and change their tune. Right. Whatever it might be. we Brian and I stick with certain maxims and principles. And... One of them, of course, is the uh, 12 o'clock, um, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock uh, perimeter around around Kennedy. And and the slug being found, the 45 slug being found in a trajectory course that would be able to be explained. And with Glenn, bone fragment, blood and bone fragment. With, yes, with blood and bone fragment with the 45 slug. Right. Excellent point that I didn't forget. This is a lot to sort out, ladies and gentlemen. It's heavy stuff. And Glenn Bennett actually seeing the bullet strike the shoulder. Right. And not seeing a fatal shot. Yeah. And so somebody would question maybe, why are you going to shoot somebody in the trunk that's the the body double? Why would you shoot them in the back of the trunk while this is all occurring? Well, you have to have a timeline. And forensics would be able to see that with certain blood, coagulation of the blood, 
a certain, you know, where the morbidity. So they had to stick with a timeline of all these things happening. I'm just putting that out there so the people, so the listeners can see that point of view. Right, right. And so people will say then, well, the Z film shows the fatal shot at 313. Uh, Mr. Anderson and Anderson, your team, you're saying that it shows the back of the head intact, but, but it still shows the head being hit by something, correct? Not so fast. We have strong reason to believe, and you're going to want to see the movie for some of this. It's to verbally sit here and explain all of this is no, no small order. But we, our thesis shows that there was an incendiary device planted either within JFK's coat or Jackie, who came around like this, right. had it in her hand underneath... The hand what, puppet. Yeah. Is what's known as the hand puppet. Right. Mary Mormon and her friend saw Jackie with kind of like a little uh, lamb chops type thing, mm-hmm. a little hand puppet. And she was known to have had that. And we believe, and I know this is a bit to swallow, but we, we believe Jackie was complicit in this because Jackie wasn't quite the pure as driven snow first lady that we were told. She was a more complicated character than we're told. And there's considerable evidence for that. But we believe she was complicit in this and actually held it there, and the device went off and imitated a gunshot hitting JFK in the head. But one of the strange things is there were two versions of the same edition of Life magazine put out in that day. And I remember, Jason, before the old McAllen Texas Library closed, I went there and they had a bunch of old Life magazines, including exactly what I was looking for. Wow. And one version of that particular edition of JFK uh, of JFK shooting which was the first time life magazine brought out still frames de- de- derived excuse me derived from the Z film this was this was what was so special about that life magazine this was when they first introduced still frames from the Zapruder film and brought them to the American people well interestingly there were two versions of that same week's edition one had a little price statement thing on it and one did not so it was clearly not all the things printed for that particular edition were identical, but it wasn't just a little price tag nomenclature thing. More importantly, it was frame 313, Jason. One showed a spray, like a mist coming out of JFK's head on that precise frame. Another showed kind of a red cartoonish looking blob, almost like a sci-fi movie where there's like a blob or parasite getting on your face. Mm-hmm. And it made JFK's head look completely unnatural and totally misshapen in an oddball uh, fashion that you would not expect to happen during a regular shooting. Right. And so how is it that you could have this blob-like looking uh, reddish uh, image here and a spray at the exact same time? Right. The answer is you can't. Okay, you can't have two totally different phenomenon at the exact same moment in time on that date and say that they're both accurate. There's an axiom of logic. A proposition cannot be true and false at the same time and in the same respect, which is if you take logic 101, that's one of the things you learn. Another is A equals A. A thing is itself. The law of identity. A pen a pen cannot be a car, a car cannot be a pen. Right. It's impossible. They have their own 
specific characteristics. But it's also true that a proposition, a claim, cannot be true and false at the same time and in the same respect. So you cannot have the exact same moment in time with two totally different images. Either one is true and one is false, or both are false. But regardless of which one is true, and I believe the spray or mist would be closer and not the blob, um, the spray indicates something very interesting, and that is that the incendiary device that we believe Jackie most likely played a role in, although having it in his jacket is, is a possibility, that device did not, uh, when, you, when you study the Z film, and, and I'll talk about someone that studied the Z film earlier in just a moment, but when you get all the facts together, you did not see a projectile going from right to left, such as from the grassy knoll, and you did not see a projectile going this way, such as from the school book depository. It was neither. It was neither. Very important. Right. The incendiary device, no matter how many frames they cut out of the film, and this was another way they manipulated the film, ladies and gentlemen, is frames were cut out, and that explains the jerky movements. Not so much any kind of impact, but more so because frames were cut out. Remember, it doesn't show the car stopping, and it should because the car did stop. Right. But frames were cut out. You have this blob and spray contradiction. You have the background thing I talked about earlier, the proportion problems. Right. Giant standing in the background. And so you have all this, and so the, the film becomes highly suspect, and then the, the clincher is no matter how many times... They tried to doctor the film. You know, they drew the arms on like this. I don't want to forget that, that showing him reach for his throat, if you look at it closely and enlarge it, you can see that those arms are an illustration that they were actually drawn on later through manipulation. Uh, you'll see how the arms come out of this part of his body and not out of here. If you look at it closely and honestly, you'll see that this is contrived on the film as is the so-called fatal wound. Which is all identified as well, and I have to say is, by a leading analyst. Yes. pointed out that, which, as Mark's going to describe that, but if you were to be shot or something happened to your throat, you would just grab your throat like this. It would be very unnatural for a person to grab like this. Even that way, you see... And then see, stick their way, arms you, Yeah, you out. see my arms, what's happening. I went in and I grabbed. It was it like would be this. Possible. You see how much effort I can't even get him up there to actually grab. And that's what's happening is they show um, the arms being in an, it's really, it's an unnatural way, almost impossible way that they're depicted there. Because yeah. you would just grab like this. If something happened, you would grab, I mean, even if he slouched and grabbed, it would be where you wouldn't see the elbows, but the elbows are well extended. What, what he really did was he went like this. Right. Exactly. And they couldn't, they couldn't let you see that because that, that devastates the powers that be story. Right. The real uh, clincher in mine and Brian's view, and Jason concurs, is Dino Brugioni, who was the top CIA um, military photo analyst of his day in the early 1960s. Dino Brugioni was interviewed in person by Doug Horn, the Assassinations Review Board guy I talked about a little earlier that spoke of Virginia, and inadvertently and unwittingly corroborated a number of things that Brian and I said. By the way, one of them was that there was a hole here. He 
corroborated this hole while McClellan corroborated this one of the guy shot in the trunk. And, and, yeah. and, and uh, Doug Horn had no idea he was corroborating us. He was just giving his own views. Yeah. I was just a guy in the audience. But Dino Brugioni inter was interviewed by Doug Horn, and um, I was not able to meet Dino Brugioni in person, but I did catch him by phone twice before he passed away. He was a cantankerous old Italian at that time. He wasn't very friendly, but he never wavered in his story that he immediately, the day after, the, the Z film was actually taken out of Dallas and was, was shipped out to the Washington, D.C. area. Stories that it was taken to Chicago don't hold water. It was sent to the D.C. area, and Dino Brugioni, before anyone had any reason to suspect anything, there, everything was just assumed that JFK died that day by assassination by rifle fire, and Oswald was the chief suspect. And it was that weekend, November 22nd was on a Friday, it was that weekend before Monday even hit, before the Oswald event on, on Sunday, it was that weekend that Brugioni saw what he said was the uncut, totally uncut Z film. What did he say? There was an anomaly here, there was a flash, and the streak went straight up in a pinkish, orangish glow. Now this is strong stuff. Dino Brugioni was known as the chief photographer, um, not only in, with supreme analytical skills to tell like a, a real photo from a fake photo, but he made the storyboards that they used to put together in those days that they'd put on the easel showing the aerial view of the missiles in Cuba, for example. Okay. He made or supervised the making of all that stuff to show to the president, secretary of defense, all the top officials. Wow. Dino was no small matter. This guy was top in his field. His name still reverberates. Yeah. And he's the one who actually viewed the unedited, uncut films. Right. And Doug Horn, the one that met Dino in person, I talked to Dino by phone. According to Doug Horn, and I think Doug Horn is a pretty solid researcher, a pretty straight shooting guy, the film was doctored at a Rochester, New York Kodak lab that was run by the CIA. Mm. And he showed pretty compelling evidence of that. But Dino Brugioni, in my, my opinion and in the opinion of my fellow researcher, Brian David Anderson, again, no relation, uh, Dino's imprimatur on this, his stamp of validity, even though he wasn't speaking to validate Brian and I. I right. want to make that clear. He didn't say, oh yeah, you guys are right. We simply asked him, and he told us things that corroborated what we said. He didn't say it in order to accommodate us. Right. He simply said this without knowing what we were going to do with it. And I want to make sure, this is a lot to take in, and I kind of have to kind of go all over the, all over the place as I explain this and wind this up. But as I was starting to say before I get into more into Doug Horn and Dito Bergioni, no matter how much they doctored the film, ladies and gentlemen, they couldn't quite get that upward streak out of it. And sure enough, and I'm sure we'll be showing this in the final version of this video, when you look at frame 313 and look a little bit above the presidential limo, you'll see the almost completely vertical streak going up at a slight angle, and you can see the trail going up. It's still there. So 
beyond a reasonable doubt, putting all these things together, and you're going to want to see mygodimhit.com and go to that movie. And by the way, when you do, you, you'll scroll down a little. It'll say, see the full 100-minute movie for free. Click on that. It'll take you to an IMDB page, a movie page. You'll see where Brian won an award for this. I also won a smaller award that's not posted, but Brian's award is posted from a film festival. It won an award. You'll see at the IMDB page where you can click on the small thumbnail about the movie and then you can see the whole movie for free. And it will explain all this in much more detail. There's one uh, disclaimer I'll put in. There's a claim in the movie that the presidential limo still exists at the uh, Dearborn Museum, the Henry Ford Museum in Dearborn, Michigan. And that's true, there is a car purported to be the, the 100X that was rebuilt there. It, it is uh, exhibited there. We say in the film that the car there at the museum is 40 inches too short. That turned, it out, that turned out to be an error. I just wanted to announce that now. But that's the only known error in the movie. We put it in when, when we thought it was true. We haven't gotten around to editing that out. But other than that mild disclaimer, uh, that, that movie, we believe, at least points the way toward finding a long-sought solution on this mystery of what happened on that day in Dallas. We'll be right back after these messages. Convince people that this war is really but the media. A history of the last 200 years. Now you created the Federal Reserve in 1913 through lies. As told by the money trail. First, to prepare the United States for foreign war. Under the guise of American defense. Written by Rodney Howard Brown and Paul L. Williams. My name is Kevin Shipp. I'm a former decorated CIA officer. There is a shadow government that is manipulating our elected officials that we see behind the scenes. Finally, someone has come out and written what I think is the best expose on the shadow government ever. Who controls your money? Who controls your savings? You have been lied to. Time after time after time. The U.S. is at the very least nurturing the largest source of the deadliest and most addictive drug on the planet. Central Intelligence Agency was actively protecting certain large drug shipments. So you tell me what the occupation of Afghanistan is really about. The Killing of Uncle Sam. Get your copy today. Visit KillingUncleSamBook.com. Killing the Planet Book. Available now from Rodney Howard Brown and Paul L. Williams. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, just they got the judges in their back pockets, and they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. It lays the predicate and the foundation for the development of a weather satellite. 
that will permit man to determine the world's cloud layer and ultimately to control the weather and he who controls the weather will control the world. The negative impact of population growth is becoming appallingly evident. What do you see as the biggest challenges in, in conservation? The growing human population. And to get to that goal, you have to monopolize the energy aspects of people around the planet. If you control those two aspects, the green revolution and the gene revolution, then you're able to control the entire planet, every resource on it, extinguish freedom for the rest of history. Available now. Go to killingtheplanetbook.com to get your copy today. Have you ever wondered about the story of money? Read Alice and the Money Tree, written by J.M. Weston Briggs, an illustrated beginner's guide to money and its hidden political and economic impact on society. Get your copy today by going to www.themoneywonderland.com. Welcome back to this segment of World Impact News. Uh, we believe that the assassination by gunfire is the, is, the, is the central linchpin and that the one thing that all the different theories that disagree with the government story, the one thing they share with the government story, Jason, is they automatically assume that it was assassination by gunfire. So, yes, you can have all these anti-government theories. You can have the government's official Warren Commission report. You can take all that, and they seem to be all over the place and disagreeing and just a, a whole minefield of different ideas, many of them contradictory. But the one thing they all agree on, this can't be stressed too much, is this was assassination by gunfire. And at the very least, we believe that our thesis steps, steps aside of all of that, sidesteps all of that, pushes it aside, kind of goes like this, seeks a fresh perspective, and and we believe puts that, at least puts America on a path towards solving this. We don't believe we have all the answers. There are some wrinkles that we haven't ironed out yet. There are some nooks and crannies that need to be enlightened. But we believe beyond a reasonable doubt, Jason, that this at least points toward that light at the end of the tunnel that would lead us to, toward a solution and kind of a nas national cleansing and would lead us to the realization that there really is a deep state, as we call it nowadays, that goes back a long ways, that sought to pull off a coup of sorts, a abdication by fake assassination, and we believe that's what happened on that day. A regime, a regime change, right? Essentially, and so. Um, and I know a lot of people would ask why, and I think you wanted to kind of finish with some of that. Yeah, yeah, I'll kind of end this segment with that, but I wanted to point out something very important too is. Um, in, in light of this is even Jackie Kennedy with her clothing, even Lady Bird Johnson asked her and, and offered to give her some clothes to change. She didn't change and there was very little of any blood on Jackie's pink suit. And so there's all these other things which, you know, because there was even vantage points of people that said there was, it was almost like you couldn't, they disappeared. Where, where John F. Kennedy and Jackie Kennedy actually disappeared. There was a point where you couldn't see them in the Correct. vehicle. So there's, there's a lot of different uh, information and facts out there from eyewitnesses that Brian and Mark have 
actually talk to personally. This, a lot of this is, and I want you to understand, it's firsthand. So a lot of work was put into this to gather the information and the facts about it. And so, but I wanted to just point out a couple of things here because you say, well, what, what about this JFK's missing? And so, but you know, it's nothing that didn't already happen within the Kennedy family. I mean, most people don't even know about the eldest daughter, Rosemary Kennedy, who is actually known as or labeled as the missing Kennedy. Correct. The, who, the word missing has been associated. With, very interesting point. Yes. With the Kennedys. So it's not the first time that this has happened, but actually uh, the matriarch of the Kennedy family, Joe Kennedy, who actually forced upon uh, the 23-year-old Rosemary Kennedy was a frontal lumbotomy because of some of her behaviors. You got to understand the behaviors of the Kennedy was not very great. I mean, when, especially when it came to uh, sexual behaviors and things of that nature, they were involved in so many different uh, affairs and sexual perversion. You know, we have these ideals. You might want to point this out too, because you've seen uh, some of the information regarding Jackie Kennedy, that she openly uh, promoted Kama Sutra and had, uh, you know, almost like a sexual deviance that most people don't see. Um, so there was, a, but that was commonplace in the Kennedys, even to the point where most people don't realize Jackie Kennedy had affairs with people like Marlon Brando and, uh, I mean, who are some of the others? I think Warren Beatty was Warren another. Beatty, Paul Newman. These were all known facts. And what people... Uh, even don't even hear a lot of times is that Jackie Kennedy was trying to divorce John F. Kennedy. So Jackie wanted to divorce John F. Kennedy, but Joe actually offered a million dollars to her to stay in the marriage. So there was money that changed hands. There was this, this happening because it was going to actually tear apart uh, John, uh, you know, Jack, as they called him, his uh, political career would be torn apart. He would lose it based upon that. But Jackie was actually wanting to leave the marriage. Joe came in and that was all uh, put together by, uh, I think, Darwin Porter. He wrote on that about how the the marriage was basically paid for to stay. Jackie was paid off to stay in the marriage. So, you know, so there's all these other facts that we're just putting putting out there, you know, so it's not too far-fetched. You know, I mean, it's it's not, really not not in the world of power politics. Cloak, right. cloak and dagger operations are are picnics for the CIA. This one would have been a little tough to pull off, but they couldn't do it now because everybody's got a camera on their phone. That's true. Back in those days, cameras were expensive and cumbersome. We only had three major news networks. It was very easy to contain things. Yeah, and I'll, I'll mention too. This one's a good one. JFK got a very slim, expensive watch from a good friend, and this is in my God, I'm hit. And all the photos we can find, here's my watch, here's all the photos we can find from that day seem to indicate that he was not wearing his watch when he arrived at Love Field mm. and he got in the limo and began the journey through, through Dallas for that campaign stop. Remember, he was in Texas because he had hired Johnson as his running mate and he needed Johnson to help get the Southern vote for right. re-election. Um, and I think that it might be suffice to say, I'll mention that for the deep, dark, dirty secrets and, and information on why this abdication took place and a little bit of why JFK would agree to this, because we do believe he agreed to it, I think watching My God, I'm Hit would be the best way of doing it. But 
I might give a little bit of that in a moment, but when the body rolled into to trauma room one, however, and the nurses were disrobing the body as it lay there and die, it had a watch on. Mm. No, none of the pictures that we can find of JFK that day show him, as wearing, show him wearing his watch, but the body that died had a watch on. That's called oops. Yeah. So a little detail there that got missed. Many of you might say, well, why? And, uh, and right now we'll kind of close or end the segment with some motive and intent behind it. Yeah, I just, think just that's, real, that's... Real quick. I, that's, that's important. Si- simply put, Mary Pinchot was a, a socialite in the Georgetown area. That's where Georgetown University is. The Foreign Service School is still there to this day. And Northwestern D.C., I've been there many times, is where the establishment is. Washington Post, Georgetown. Mm-hmm. That's where the wealthy and jet set live. Well, Mary, Mary Pinchot was a wife... Uh, you know, was a, a woman that lived in that jet set community. And she was friends with Cord Meyer, the well-known CIA agent, James Jesus Angleton, a, a, a very devious CIA agent. And they, they all knew Ben Bradley of the Washington Post, the editor who later became famous in the Watergate scandal, directing Woodward and Bernstein. He was their editor. Well, Mary Pinchot was part of the Georgetown crowd. And the... And, and it, Brian and I did not research this part much. It's been done ably by other people. Mm-hmm. They were, these women, including Mary Pinchot, who is thought to have had a uh, affair with JFK, she was among this group of women that were trying to kind of deprogram these power-hungry men in the U.S. establishment and get them off this perpetual war footing, get them off this Pax Americana that America always had to assert its primacy and its hegemony. And there's a a good trail of evidence that Mary Pinchot engaged JFK in controlled LSD trips uh, with clean, uncut LSD, very high grade, unlike the street stuff that came out later and hurt a lot of people. And that through this controlled environment LSD trips, that JFK was brought into a higher stage of consciousness and that that higher stage of consciousness turned him into a far less womanizing, hardworking president, working 16 hours a day in many instances, um, giving his um, Pax Americana speech for uh, pulling back on American hegemony, um, at least in his written statements and his spoken word. You know, I don't know what resides in the depths of JFK's heart or what did, but his spoken word and in his um, written statements, he was calling for a relaxation of Pax Americana calling for peace, um, regretting that he escalated in Vietnam, wanting to pull back on troops in Vietnam, and asserting his authority when the Joint Chiefs or uh, Council on Foreign Relations advisors like George Bundy would do the wrong thing, he would call them on it and say, bring those troops back. He would point his finger and he told them, don't you dare override my authority. So uh, he grew more of a spine, became more, more assertive, worked harder, um, became far less the womanizer and uh, really sought to be the president, kind of like Donald Trump today. You know, I'm in charge. I'm really the president. I'm not, not just somebody's marionette here. Right. And so basically what's happened is uh, JFK went, went off the camp, went off script, so to speak, and started to begin to take responsibility. I mean, even, even in the very famous speech, not what you not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country and trying to unite 
America. And that's right, he was actually wanting to pull out of Vietnam, get out of the Cold War. I mean, there's all these things that you could see happening, plus on the money side of things, where he was beginning to actually, um, and, and this is factual, you can go study it out, but uh, Executive Order 11110 that was signed, but James Joseph Saxon, who was the comptroller of the currency for the Department of Treasury, of the Treasury, who was actually appointed by John F. Kennedy. And so he had already begun to release $4 billion in U.S. notes. Four billion in U.S. notes, and those were in circulation that were two and five dollar denominations. At the time of the events of November twenty second, nineteen sixty three, it was already in print. Uh, they were printing the ten and twenty dollar notes. Now I'm talking about U.S. notes. So it was a move away to to basically take back control, or the U.S. to take back control of the monetary system in America. The financial system, the Department of Treasury, was taking it away from the federal, uh, well, the, well, the, the, well, the federal reserve system was Correct. in place that was run by the private banks of America, and so that's so you have a lot of these different things that were happening at that time. So what we always look at is follow the money trail. Where's the money lead? Where is the power being taken away? So you had very involved and very interested people in this. To the point of, uh, and I'll just say this, is at the time of the incident, they're printing the money backed by silver, silver notes. Remember, yeah. these are silver certificates backed by the U.S. And so, right. because at the time, you have to understand, the Federal Reserve System is a private bank. I'm going to give you, quote, what Black's Law Dictionary defines the Federal Reserve System as. It defines it as the network of 12 central banks to which most national banks belong and to which state uh, chartered banks, now get this, may belong. Membership rules require investment of stock and minimum reserves, which it goes on, Black's Law Dictionary goes on to say privately owned banks own the stock of the Fed of the Federal Reserve. So you have the you know you so you basically see where JFK began to do things Stop. against the privatized banks, the banking cartel or the cabal as we call it. Yeah, as he, well as right. as well as he wanted to actually expose a lot of the secret societies that were happening and he made reference to that in speeches. So it, it is thought or the thinking is as he kind of went off the reserve so to speak he then, you know, you've got to understand there is this establishment, the deep state. There were people that had a lot on the line to lose. And Who was it in their best interest yeah, to the, actually? The defense actually, industry. Right. The, the defense industry would lose Buku by going to a more peaceful, non-interventionist foreign policy. Right. You step on the big toes of the Fed. And they issue money at interest. They lease money to the country, ladies and gentlemen, at interest. When you have a Federal Reserve note in your purse or wallet, that belongs to you only in a sense. It's loaned to the country through the banks, including individuals. It's loaned into existence. It has a price on its head. And the, the entire money supply requires the U.S. government through our taxes to pay interest to the banking cartel. So that it, we lease money. When Kennedy issued notes through Executive Order 11110. That was money spent into circulation debt-free. 
we don't have to pay it back. It's money put into circulation to enrich our purchasing power. It's not loaned, it's spent. And even when Trump began to mention that, you could see recently the Rothschilds, I mean, the, the banking cartel went, I mean, they began to... Well, all Trump had to do yeah. was mention that, you're, hey, could you hold back on these interest rate hikes a little bit? I'm trying right. to re revive the economy here. Right. He was Trump wasn't rolling out debt-free, interest-free money like Kennedy um, began to do. He just made a comment. He just made a comment, and yet the Fed circled the wagons starting in 2017 in July. I remember picking up a newspaper that day in Ypsilanti, Michigan. I picked it up, and the, the banks and the big media were going bonkers. Oh, yeah. Just because Trump wanted them to lay back on raising rates, nothing nearly as radical as what Kennedy entertained. So you have the, the bankers, you have the military-industrial complex that Eisenhower had already warned about before Kennedy, not wanting to lose its um, huge profits through the Cold War and whatnot. And then um, you have other things that play into it. Um, but uh, that may have all led up to the events that happened. And so that's what we're given is information yes. so that you can see more of the big picture. A lot of the things that have been hidden, kept in secret, that the media doesn't share, that the government doesn't share. I mean, so, you know, that's what we're bringing to light today that you would hopefully be challenged in your thinking, and and this would be thought-provoking stuff. And so I know many people are going to say, oh, this is, no, we're just bringing this information and facts to you, a lot of it firsthand, a lot of it as Brian and Mark have actually been in the field studying this, put hours and hours and hours, numerous hours into this firsthand, you know, talking to the eyewitnesses, talking to the people, but then also the facts that you can see. So something that's very disturbing about this you know, and we got people must understand that there are conspiracies out there and they are being performed against the American people. And so the, the wins, the whys, the wheres, I mean, you know, maybe there's some other other details. We don't know everything that's out there, but that's what we wanted to bring to the listening audience or the viewing audience as you watch this, that it would challenge you. But the most important thing is that you want to just take the information and then brush it off. You've got to get involved in every single round. That means you need to get involved as a citizen. You've got to get out there and vote. You've got to put people into office and vote for people that put them into office that are going to stand up for righteousness and that are going to stand up for the people. We cannot allow the government to grow and the establishment to grow where it would rule and control the people. That's your monetary. That's the financial. That's the health. That's the education. That's all the different areas where the government wants to rule, and really the globalists want to rule over the people. But through the government, through the government, correct. So that's their strong arm that they can actually rule the people. And we could, we can end with this, Jason. Dr. Robert McClellan, when he held the back of Kennedy's head, as I described, had a white lab coat type garment on, and he was one of the only people, if not the only person, that did not wash his coat ever since then. And to this day, he just passed away, as I mentioned, his family still has his coat sealed away with the blood purported to be Kennedy's on it. But we'll end with this question, and I'll put it in the form of a question. If the body brought in to Parkland out of the limo was not that of JFK, consider this. The body brought in, which by the way, had his head covered with a jacket so you couldn't see the face. And when they put the body on the, on the table in trauma room one, they put a, a 
a breathing apparatus right on it right away. And the doctors all said they never took the time. They were so busy trying to save the body. They never took the time to study the face real closely. That being said, that body bled out on the garment kept by McClellan. Wouldn't it be interesting, ladies and gentlemen, what do you think if we tested the DNA on that garment, would it match the DNA that the U.S. government still has records of, the DNA details, would they match the DNA of JFK himself? Should that test be done? Should that bloody garment, should that DNA, and they have very advanced DNA tests nowadays, should that be tested against the registered eye color and other DNA characteristics of Kennedy? Would they match or would they not? This garment exists, that the necessary testing apparatus exists, that is what Brian, David, Anderson, and I say should be done. Let the chips fall where they may. And why hasn't that been done? Why is the refusal there? So anyway, we lay the facts out. We lay this information out. And we thank you for watching World Impact News. I'm Jason Mangum. And I'm Mark Anderson. Check it out at MyGodImHit.com. And we'll see you next time. God bless. This concludes part two. Watch or listen to part one of JFK Revisited, Death or Disappearance, both available as video and podcast.